Hey, welcome to episode number 68 of More Than Bread. My name is Dan Nolden. I'm the pastor of Calvary Church in State College, Pennsylvania. I've been a pastor for 33 plus years, 28 years here at Calvary. And, and one of the good things I think that has come from being a pastor so long is that my love for scripture has grown. My soul has been saturated by the book. As your host, Bible reader, and scripture explainer, at least at times, this this podcast is hopefully a way to give a little bit of that to you because life is not found in stuff. There has to be more than bread. And I'm hungry for God's word because God's word brings life. In this episode, we're going to give you an intro to the gospel of Mark. So even though it's the intro, let me start by reading Mark chapter one. I'm, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And, and before we start, you, you notice right away in Mark's gospel, it's a little bit different from Matthew, Luke, and John that are called the synoptic or the same gospels. They follow a little bit more of a similar path. Mark does not start with a Christmas story. He starts with a preparation story, the message and the story of John the Baptist. Here's how it starts. Verse 1, Mark 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached the people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the River Jordan. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and, and wild honey. Now, these are my words that it just realize that this is a spectacle. John the Baptist is a wonder to behold. He, he's drawn people because there's an oddity about him. He He's from the wilderness, and he wears clothes of camel hair, and he eats grasshoppers and wild honey, and he's doing this baptism, and everybody is coming to be baptized. Something is going on. John announced verse 7, here's what's going on. Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I'll baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, my words, (laughs) this idea of the Holy Spirit is going to come in over and over again in the Gospels. We'll see it over and over again. Jesus will baptize us. The word baptize, it literally means to immerse. He will immerse you with the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him. Imagine doing that in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit, there's the Spirit again, descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. This voice of God, my words, saying, I love this guy. I love Jesus. You're my son and you bring me joy. And right after that, verse 12, the spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, forced Jesus into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached the good news, God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. 
One day, verse 16, as Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once, and they followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Now, my words, you may remember from the last episode, the last podcast, we said the reason that they would leave everything is because Jesus was a rabbi, and they all, their culture, revered the word. And so this was like, you know, an NFL coach coming up and saying, hey, come with me. I think you have what it takes. Jesus and his companions, verse 21, went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Jesus was a man of the book. Verse 23, suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed and threw the man into a convulsion and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. And the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the region of Galilee. I want to stop there and just share a little bit. Just imagine this beginning to Jesus' ministry. People from everywhere kept coming to him. And do you know really what they were asking? They were asking the same question that sits in our hearts today. Jesus, are you the one? I mean, think about this. He, he was born in a small rural village over 2,000 year, years ago, and yet it, we claim that he always was and always is and always will be. He rarely traveled far from home. He was not a world traveler, and yet we claim that he created the whole world. He, he lived a few years past 30, but his life divided history into two times, the time before Jesus and the time after Jesus. He was born to a blue-collar couple, father a carpenter mother, a teenager, he could identify with today's working poor. In his lifetime, did more than a dozen people call him close friend? Did more than a few hundred ever call him leader? Did more than a few thousand ever hear him speak? He had no business. He didn't lead an army. He was never elected to office. So many people simply missed him, but they didn't know that he was the one. Do you think maybe you would have missed him? Of course, sometimes it was hard to miss him. We'll, we'll see these stories as we go, like, like the time when they were out on a boat and a storm came up, wicked storm, experienced sailors, fearful waves higher than a house, tossing them back and forth. Wind drove the rain horizontal. They thought they were going to die until Jesus woke up from his nap, spoke to the storm. Be still. Who is this man? Peter wondered. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Or or when he called Lazarus to come out of the tomb, or the time when he took a sack lunch and fed enough people to fill a stadium, and, and, and then some. There were people there those days who said, you are the one. <laughs> or how about that day when he hung on a cross, and he called upon God to forgive the ones who put him there, and then when he died, the world got dark and the earth shook. There was a Roman soldier there that day who said, I think he was the one. Or how about a few days later when he rose from the dead and showed up at dinner? Everybody but Thomas said, 
You're the one. So just stop for a moment and and ask that question. Maybe you've asked it before. All of us at some point should ask that question. Maybe it takes more than once. Jesus, are you the one? Jesus, are you really the one? You understand, if he really is the one, if he really is who he claimed to be, then he is the single most significant person who ever lived. Jesus, are you the one? Well, what is your answer to that question? If you answer yes, do you live like it's a yes? I mean, it must be a peculiar thing in the conversations, in the hallways of heaven when we answer yes, but we live as though happiness in life will be found by giving Jesus about 2% of our attention. I mean, 2,000 years later, the life and the call of Jesus has inspired the building of more universities and hospitals, the creation of more art, the writing of more books and songs, the giving of more money, the serving of more people, the starting of more orphanages than the life and call of any other single individual. In fact, who in history has inspired such loyalty and passion and love that millions upon millions have been willing to live and die for him? And yet, each and every one of us must answer that question personally. Jesus, are you the one? Mark is the writer of this gospel, the writer of this gospel that we're going to immerse ourselves in for the next few weeks. He answered that question with a yes. Now, Mark grew up in the early days of the church. We have no indication that Mark spent any time in the physical presence of Jesus. Like us, he had to answer that question on the basis of what others had said and on the basis of the Spirit of God at work in his heart and his mind. Mark was the son of a prosperous mother named Mary, whose house was a a center of ministry and gathering for the early church. We see that in Acts 12, 12. Mark was also the nephew of Barnabas, and he traveled with Paul and Barnabas on their very first missionary journey. And in those early days of our movement, he even became a close friend of Peter, so close that Peter refers to him in 1 Peter 5 as, my son. In other words, Mark rubbed shoulders with these early leaders of our movement, and he developed a settled conviction in his heart that Jesus was the one. And so he starts his gospel with the simple words, the beginning of the gospel. That word gospel literally means good news, the beginning of the good news, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, most scholars agree that one of the great values of the Gospel of Mark is Mark's connection to Peter. As I said, Mark's home was a gathering place for Jesus' followers in those first few years of the church. I can only imagine how many times Mark heard a personal story from the lips of someone who had known Jesus. But it was Peter, the the preaching of Peter and conversations with Peter that really gave birth to Mark's Gospel. Papias, one of the early church historians, calls Mark Peter's interpreter, (laughs) And it indicates that he followed Peter and wrote accurately, though not chronologically, the stories of Jesus that Peter shared. Mark's gospel is Jesus through the eyes of Peter. Through Peter's eyes, Mark's aim was to give us a picture of Jesus as he was. One commentator calls it a transcript from life. Another, A.B. Bruce, says it was written from the viewpoint of a loving, vivid recollection and that its great characteristic is its realism. Mark never loses sight of the divine side of Jesus. The gospel is filled with miracles and amazement, but at the same time, no other gospel gives such a human picture of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I think if I could characterize Mark's picture of Jesus, I would say that Jesus was the passionate servant who leaves a mark. (laughs) 
passionate because he's willing to sacrifice all that he has. He's willing to go to the mat to do what it takes to get in the foxhole, to climb up on a cross and hang there. Servant because he's willing to do it for you, for me. Uh, Leaving a, a mark because he is the son of God. Come down from heaven to bring near a kingdom that will turn the world upside down. I'm telling you this, Jesus is not just meek and mild. He is untamed and bold. He is dangerous. And and sooner or later, he will force each and every one of us to answer the question, Jesus, are you the one? I just got to ask you, carry this question with you for a while over the course of the coming days. Jesus, are you the one? What are you going to do with Jesus? I mean, you can diss me and for really dismiss me and for really good reason, criticize the church. But before it's all over, we have to decide, what what do I do with Jesus? Uh, Reynolds Price, a number of years ago, not a Christian, uh, wrote an article in Time magazine. He, He wrote, it would require much exotic calculation, however, to deny that the single most powerful figure, not merely in the last two millennium, but all in, in, but in all of human history, has been Jesus of Nazareth. A serious argument, he wrote, can be made that no one else's life has proved remotely as powerful and enduring as that of Jesus. As Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, the name Jesus is not so much written as it is plowed into the history of the world. Who is he really? What do you do with Jesus? When if Jesus were simply a good person, a great teacher, a nice guy, a mystic, a poet, a leader who was in the right place at the right time, or simply a person who grew to his full potential. And we can learn a little from his life, but then simply move on. But if Jesus is who Jesus claimed to be, what do we do with him? I mean, who is he really? How many remember a guy by the name of Fred Rogers? Mr. Rogers was born in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, one of PA zone. If I asked you to come up with one word to describe Mr. Rogers, it would have to be the word nice, right? Hello, boys and girls. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, and I'm so glad you're you. I like you just the way you are. Won't you be my neighbor? You know what? If you research his life, you'll find that he was much more than just a a nice guy with a sweater and a soothing voice. He had incredible perseverance. He was an ordained pastor with a passion to serve kids. And yet, if we were to ask most people, who was he really? Other than the internet rumors that suggested he was a trained Navy SEAL who wore sweaters to cover up the tattoos on his arms, most people would say he was nice. He was safe. He was soothing. He was gentle. He was nice. You just don't put the words dangerous Mr. Rogers together in the same sentence. And I think if you were to ask some people today what they thought of Jesus, who was he really, they'd picture Mr. Rogers. Jesus was this really nice guy going around saying really nice things. Come on, you guys, just love each other. Love, won't you be each other's neighbor? Mr. Rogers' last public appearance was as the Grand Marshal of the Rose Bowl Parade. As he drove past that day, tens of thousands of people waved and millions of people watched on TV. It just felt warm all over because Mr. Rogers, well, he's just a nice guy. He was not a dangerous guy. I mean, did anybody ever get mad at Mr. Rogers? I'm, I'm sure, but it's hard to imagine, right? Anyone ever want to take him out and beat the crud out of him? Ah, probably not. Anyone threaten to crucify him? I doubt it. There's a gentleness and a humility woven throughout the fabric of Jesus' heart. We'll see that in the Gospel of Mark. There's an intensity of compassion. Your, Your heart is never more safe than it is when it's in the hands of Jesus. But listen, 
Jesus was also a dangerous man. (laughs) He left a mark everywhere he went. Some saw his mark as being so deep, so radical and anti-status quo that they killed him. Killing him wasn't enough, so they beat him before they killed him. And, And it's important for me to say that to us because ultimately it's not enough to believe in Jesus. We have to follow Jesus. When people become followers of Jesus, they get dangerous. This is, Mark says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That word gospel literally means good news. This is the beginning of the good news of the story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. His story is good news. And we we hear that word good news, that we hear that word gospel all the time. It's the heart and soul of our faith. The good news is simple, but it encompasses our life. And Mark's gospel is telling us the good news. For now, let me just give you three themes of this good news. The first comes in this idea, good news, it's done. (laughs) And the second theme is good news, welcome to the family. It's done. It's an event in history. It's done. And the good news is you have become part of the family of God. You have an opportunity to be adopted into the family of God. And the third theme is good news. Up there is coming down here. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Up there is coming down here and it's starting now. So let me read a a little bit more of the gospel of Mark again from the paraphrase, the message. The good news of Jesus Christ, the message, begins here. Following to the letter, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, watch closely, Isaiah wrote, I'm sending my preacher ahead of you. He'll make the road smooth for you. Thunder in the desert, prepare for God's arrival. Make the road smooth and straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wild, preaching a baptism of life change that leads to the forgiveness of sins. People thronged to him from Judea and Jerusalem, and as they confessed their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River into a changed life. John wore a camel hair habit, tied at the waist with a leather belt. He ate locusts and wild field honey. And as he preached, he said, the real action comes next. The star in this drama to whom I'm a mere stage hand will change your life. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. But his baptism, a holy baptism by the Holy Spirit, will change you from the inside out. At this time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And the moment he came out of the water, he saw the sky split open and God's spirit looking like a dove came down on him. Along with the spirit of voice said, you are my son, chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. At once, this same spirit pushed Jesus into the wild For 40 wilderness days and nights, he was tested by Satan. Wild animals were his companions, and angels took care of him. After John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee preaching the message of God. Time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe the message. Passing along the beach of Lake Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew net fishing. Fishing was their regular work. Jesus said to them, come with me and I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you. I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. They didn't ask questions. They dropped their nets and followed. A dozen yards or so down the beach, he saw the brothers James and John, Zebedee's sons. They were in the boat mending their fish nets Right off, he made the same offer, and immediately they left their father Zebedee, the boat, and the hired hands, and they followed. 
Then they entered Capernaum. When the Sabbath arrived, Jesus lost no time in getting to the meeting place. He spent the whole day there teaching, and they were surprised at his teaching, so forthright, so confident, not quibbling and quoting like the religion scholars. Suddenly, while in the meeting place, he was interrupted by a man who was deeply disturbed, yelling out, what business do you have with us, Jesus Nazarene? I know what you're up to. You're the Holy One of God, and you come to destroy us. Jesus shut him up. Quiet, get out of him. And the afflicting spirit, evil spirit, threw the man into spasms, protesting loudly, but got out. Everyone there was spellbound, buzzing with curiosity. What's going on here? A new teaching that does what it says. He shuts up defiling demonic spirits and tells them to get lost. News of this traveled fast and was soon all over Galilee. Directly on leaving the meeting place, they came to Simon and Andrew's house, accompanied by James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed, burning up with fever. They told Jesus. He went to her, took her hand, and raised her up. And no sooner had the fever left than she was up fixing dinner for them. That evening, after the sun was down, they brought sick and evil afflicted people to him. The whole city lined up at his door. And he cured their sick bodies and tormented spirits because the demons knew his true identity. He didn't let them say a word. In the next episode, I'm going to unpack a little bit more these themes of good news. But from now, let me pray for you and encourage you to lean into the question, what are you going to do? Is he really who he says he is? And if so, what are you doing with Jesus? Jesus, thank you for your example, your life, um, your power, Thank you for your spirit that you've given to each and every one of us. And I pray for each and every person listening to my words. Jesus, would you show them the reality of the kingdom come, of the good news? Would you give them hope in the midst of hard seasons? Would you give them joy in the midst of anxiety? Would you show them that you are the Son of God, become the Word of God, and that life is found in you? We ask all these things. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.